0: In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Good morning, Wycliffe. Years and years ago, I had a conversation with a friend in which I tried to explain why I believed in Jesus Christ. We were more hippies than hipsters back then, but she knew I was a Christian, and she asked me this question. What do I need saving from? Her questions, a fair one. Scripture tells us again and again that Christ saves us from our sins. But I knew that the language of evil and sin meant nothing to her. It was even offensive to her, other people's categories. So to explain Jesus based on something that was offensive to her, as it is to many people today, seemed to me like it would go nowhere. So in response, I said this. It's not so much that you need saving from something, you need saving for something. So what do you think of my answer? Remember, I was about 23 or 24 at the time and had never even heard the word apologetics. My answer was probably clever. But is it the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ? If our witness to Christ If the church's witness to Christ is meant to magnify him, to make him more visible in all his truth, beauty, and particularity, how did I do? Did I take the easy way out? And I think the answer is yes. Now, I don't think the place to start in trying to present the gospel to others is with sin and judgment but the full-on love of God. But the gospel does include both being saved from and saving for through Jesus Christ. And the from what and for what? Well, that brings us to this faculty sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 and my appointed text for this morning, the works of the flesh. They need to be heard together and never separated. Paul sets up this chapter on freedom in Christ as a contrast between the two. And why is this so important to hold them together? Because when we separate them and focus on one without the other, things get distorted. God's grace is distorted, our understanding of our new birth in Jesus is distorted. Most importantly, each without the other distorts the identity of Jesus Christ, who stands among us, both forgiving us, and as part of his forgiveness, calls us to participate in his ministry for the sake of the world. So to that list of works of the flesh, in Galatians 5.19, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. It's fairly exhaustive, but not completely comprehensive, as Paul indicates, and things like these. Two observations about it. First, This list covers both tablets of the Ten Commandments. Sins against God, sorcery and idolatry, and sins against neighbor, jealousy, anger, licentiousness, and so on. Every item on the list stands against who God has made us in Jesus Christ. Every single one works against seeking another's welfare, Everyone stands in contradiction to forgiving others, in contradicting to encouraging others, to hoping with and for another. Every single one draws us from the love of God and seeks to destroy the creatures of God. In other words, every single one makes a mockery of who God has made us in Jesus Christ. Altogether, they are Peter, Denying Christ three times outside the high priest's court as a cock crowed. I do not know the man. Sin against his friend as he puts his welfare above his friends and in doing so sin against God as he denies the one true God. And the second observation is this. Paul is talking about us us as individuals, us as members of families and nations, us as the church around the world. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, getting to the heart of it, the line separating good and evil passes right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts. Inside us, it oscillates with the years. And we know this well, don't we? through the stories of our lives and families and every day's headlines. Paul describes them as works of the flesh because they reside in us and the quotidian nature of life. On our own, we cannot free ourselves from their grip, can we? Or protect ourselves and those we love from the damage they inflict. This bracing list holds up a mirror to a naive gospel that says we are not really captive to sin's thrall. We just need to get our act together. And a gospel without a clear proclamation of sin and the sin of the world is magical thinking. Soft peddling sin, because it makes people feel bad about themselves, reducing it to social or psychological categories, which on their own are very important, is to fail the people whose lives are absolutely flattened by it. And yet, saying all this, and repenting of all this, we proclaim Christ's response. As he did with Peter, Christ stands among us and says, Peace be with you. Here is the absolutely free act of God. God chooses to still be with and for us, despite our utter disregard of God and one another. God's response to our turning away from him is to turn toward us in Jesus Christ. He forgives us and in doing so leaps over the chasm that our sin has created between us and God. His forgiveness is our restoration to communion with him and our hope for the world. But as I said, this list of the works of the flesh must be held together with the marvelous fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Christ's forgiveness is not given simply to make us clean, or so we may receive the peace which passes understanding or to make us morally upright. If it were, Paul could have ended this chapter with these works of the flesh, Christ's victory over them and our liberation from their chains. But he doesn't, does he? The fruit of the Spirit tell us that the freedom from the power of sin is freedom for our participation in Christ's ministry. Christ's forgiveness always includes vocation and discipleship. And if we proclaim something other in our congregations, we are selling the people of God short. Like his two stretched out arms on the cross, while he forgives us the sins we have committed in the past, as a part of that forgiveness, he calls us into his ministry now and in the days to come. I think this is at the heart of what Paul says in the previous chapter, verse 5, chapter 4. God sent his son in order to redeem those who are under the law so that they might receive adoption as his children. And the fruit of the Spirit, which my colleagues will preach on in the coming weeks, are given for this very purpose. Peter, do you love me? Jesus asked his friend who denied him three times. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times denied. Three times Jesus reaches across the gulf Peter's sin has created to draw him back. But Jesus' forgiveness does not end there, does it? Or is forgiveness of us. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know all things about me then feed my sheep. But when we move on to the fruits of the Spirit in the coming Thursdays, as we think about the ministry of the church, our own identity as children of God, today's lists of the work of the flesh cannot be left behind. Yes, Jesus liberates us from sin's grip on us, but he does so as one scarred from the battle. Scarred, tortured, victorious, but the marks of the battle still to this present day in his resurrected flesh. All of the Gospels frame Christ's ministry as a battle to wrestle back his creation from the very powers described in this list of the works of the flesh. And it is into this ministry that he draws us and gives us the fruit of the Spirit. So forgiven, freed from the works of sin which try to claim us and given a vocation we might what? Might resist the very same works of the flesh we have been freed from. Yes, we are freed from the grip of sin for Christ's sobering work of resistance. So perhaps if I had been wiser years ago when my friend asked me, what do I need saving from? I might have dodged the way she framed the question and said something like this. You are God's beloved child, whether you know it or not. And our greatest joy is discovering the unfathomable depths of who God has made us in Jesus Christ. To this crowd at Wycliffe, however, I might bring it up a notch. In relation to being saved from our sins for the work of Christ's ministry, well, Luther puts it far better than I ever can. You too are beloved children, unconditionally objects of God's eternal favor. And so you too are anointed with the Spirit, to rise up as new subjects in a lifelong battle against the unholy powers and through Christ and in Christ, battle for the healing of the nations. Amen.